Hey there, it's Pastor Rob. Thanks for joining us in the third week of our four-part series called How to Study the Bible. Uh, as we're going through this, we're using an acronym to kind of guide us, and the acronym is SOAP, S-O-A-P. Uh, the first week we talked about the S, Scripture, and approaching it as, as God's holy breathed word. It came out of his, his holy breath as he kind of whispered into the writers, the ears of the writers, as they wrote down his desired thoughts and, and feelings and expectations for his people in such a way that it would speak to them right then and there and to us, for us, even now, thousands of years later. And last week we talked about observation and the importance of observing the uh, various literary genres. You know, the Bible's probably, if not the greatest literary work ever written. Um, and it covers the gambit of possible expressions of writing and helping us understanding the, the many facets and characteristics of God. We also talked about context and some questions that we need to be asking the scriptures as we go to it. This week, the A in SOAP is application. What do I do with what I'm observing in scripture? What do I do with what God is saying? And I want to stop for a second and kind of pause and revisit something from last week and kind of discuss how it relates to this week's lesson. And, and that's defining the difference between application and interpretation. Interpretation in a grander scheme of things is, is discovering what someone is trying to convey emotionally and or um, verbally or factually. And, and, you know, we see that as we even call it someone, an interpreter, who's, who's translating what someone is trying to say in one language into language, into a language that, that others can understand. That's what interpretation is. But if you really stop and think about it, it's more than just what someone says as we're relating to others in our lives. It's, it's the emotion that they are conveying and the tone and the inflection of their voice or their body language. It's, and sometimes interpretation is affected by what we're already feeling and what our desires are. Well, we looked last week at specifically biblical interpretation because it is written word, right? It is language that we're focused on. And the term for that, the big Greek word for that is, is exegesis. And that's discerning what God's word really means. What was he trying to say then that applies to us now? And that's really easy for us to get confused with application sometimes as we start to, because application is, is putting the interpretation to work. It's putting to work what God's holy word says. And we unwittingly often bring our own baggage, our own perspectives to the text as we, as we kind of process it and look through it. That's called, by the way, called eisegesis, another big Greek word where we're kind of uh, imposing our own perspectives and taking out of it what we want rather than what it says. The truth is, though, that it doesn't matter what a verse means to me in particular or what it means to you or what it means to anyone else. All that matters is what it means to God. What did God desire to put across? And so application doesn't change the eternal truth or the eternal words of God. It doesn't change his intent and his purpose. It's really asking this question of scripture. What does living out the truth of God look like for you and I right here 
and right now. That eternal truth that was written down over thousands of years, that doesn't change. What we do with it, how we apply it in our current situation, may look different. It may feel different, but it should have the same motivations, the same desires, and the same source. And that is God's holy word. So to do that, we're going to kind of look at the book of James. And if you had to pick a book in the Bible that is all about application, all about doing something with what God has telling is telling you in his word, it's James. He is all about it. So much so that at times he's been in conflict. Uh, Martin Luther was a, a theologian that, wow, powerful man who did incredible things in the name of God. And, and, helped us all have access to his holy word at a time when really it was limited to a few people. And, but even Martin Luther had difficulty with James sometimes. Didn't have a lot of positive things about to say about the book of James because he coming from an area where in the, in the Catholic church where, you know, it really was all about checking all the right boxes and doing all the right things and earning your salvation. As he read Romans said, Romans 1, 16 and 17 says we are saved by faith through grace, right? And grace is not the same as working. And so as Martin Luther read, I would argue he was pulling some eisegesis. He was pulling his own personal opinions about works versus grace, right? Earning your, earning your salvation or it being a gift from Jesus Christ and was reading it upon James. Because James is blunt. He calls us to task as followers of God. Now, what's I think important for us to understand is this isn't about salvation. Um, it's about the response to salvation, what we're doing in light of the fact that Jesus is watching over us, that Jesus has saved us from ourselves, and that we are now his children. So we're going to look at James chapter 1, 19 through 26. It says this, and I'm reading out of the CSB. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receiving the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. There's that doer, right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As we consider this text, I think James brings up two points of application, two ways that are necessary if we're going to truly apply God's word. There are two aspects of it. The first is this, the internal response that heartfelt desire and conviction that comes with the presence of Holy Spirit and in reading God's breathed word. He says in verse 20, 
one. He says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil so that it is prevalent. And here it is, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It's that sense of conviction we get, right? Uh, if I had a nickel for every time I've written a sermon and, and, and preached it and had somebody say to me, you had to have been talking just to me. Um, most of the time, in fact, almost all the time, that's not the case. <laughs> most of the time, it's God's word that's talking. It's God's word that is convicting. It's God's word that is pushing and asking and, and challenging us. Maybe it's when you're reading scripture and you get that sense of conviction and you begin to underline things and make notes and, and maybe in, in you version, you print up a, a verse image and write and put it on social media, or maybe it even calls you to weep, weep at the fact that you or I, that we have fallen short of where God wants us to be. And that's a, it's that conviction that leads us to change. Or, and the second piece, I should say, the second piece of what James outlines here is how that internal response leads to external reaction. What do we do with that information, right? And he's pretty blunt in verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The idea that we are are convincing ourselves that it's okay to stop at simply feeling convicted or simply uh, recognizing that we are falling short of where God would have us go next and of trusting in him and his path. And the problem is that response without action really ignores the lordship of Jesus Christ. Right? And, and clearly in this context, James is speaking to a group of people that have a lot of difficulty speaking well to one another, speaking in a loving way to one another, or in a way that is cognizant of each other's emotional needs. They're clearly blunt. They're clearly nasty at times because he repeatedly goes through this, watch your tongue. Control your tongue. In fact, in verse 26 of our text, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and it deceives, and he deceives himself. There's that deceiving themselves again, lying to themselves about where they stand in their faith, in their walk with God, and in their response to God. And so that is their challenge, is that is the way they speak to one another. And he's like, look, if you are saying or that you are followers of Jesus Christ and yet not treating one another as Christ has treated you with the grace and love that he has treated you, then are you really? Are you really acting as, as God would have you act? And the answer is no. No. But it is a problem that I think, you know, a lot of us have at times. You know, as I said before, maybe you're reading scripture and you're convicted. You start underlining things and making notes. And, and that's incredible. That's wonderful. But if, if you look back through your Bible two weeks later or a month later or two months later and can't remember why you underlined that note or underline that or why you wrote a note or why you marked it in such a way as something critical to remember, it could be because our response didn't lead to action. And that ignores the notion that Jesus is not just our Savior. In fact, James White says it this way, many in our world today want us to believe that we can accept Christ simply as our Savior from sin, right? 
but not the Lord of our lives. The idea that we can just have this internal conviction of, of God as he's pushing us to change us, but not have it lead to change, physical outward change in our lives, is to deceive ourselves about where we stand, it's to lie to ourselves about where we stand with Jesus. But on the other hand, right, as was Martin Luther's concern, right, action without response minimizes action without that, that physical external action, without that internal response, minimizes Christ's sacrifice. It minimizes what he has done for us. Verse 23 and 24 says this in such a beautiful way. It says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, okay? Which we do on a daily basis. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. As you're staring in the mirror in the morning, you know, you can, you can look at it and you see all the flaws and all the difficulties and all the challenges. You see the, the hair that's out of place. You see the... You see the pimple that's starting to show up, right? In my case, you start to see the gray hairs in your beard and, and the wrinkles. But you see all of those things. And then it's, isn't it interesting how we walk away from the mirror and suddenly those things aren't impacting us in the same way. We might return to them maybe once or twice. We might be cognizant throughout the day at various times. But, but it doesn't affect us the same way. We're not staring at it intently and... And James argues that, you know, sometimes you just walk away and completely forget who you are, who, who you're, what your flaws are, what, what's out of place, what's not right. And we do the same thing with the word of God sometimes. We allow it to convict us as we're staring into it and reading it and allowing it to push us. We're very well aware of our faults and failings. And then we walk away and we almost forget like we have them. We forget like we have them. And we think more about the actions we need to take. And so our faith becomes not a matter of responding to God's word, responding to his sacrifice, responding to the salvation that comes from knowing him, but it becomes more about what am I getting done that will help God or ostensibly force God to approve me, to see me as good, because I have forgotten just how far I have fallen. I have forgotten that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that there's nothing I could possibly do that would make me good. Righteous is different. Righteous means God is seeing you as holy and because he's declaring you as holy because you are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't change whether or not we are physically good, okay? And so, because inherently we're not. We're all kind of broken. We're all kind of busted, as I just said. And what starts to, to show up um, and, and gives way to the notion of, if I do enough good things, then I'm, I'm right with God. And that, that's a dangerous thing because it creates what's called kind of this, as one author puts it, a Promethean missionality. If you know the um, Greek his, the Greek mythology around Prometheus, uh, Prometheus was a titan. One of the him and his brother were the two that that the the gods, little g gods, Greek gods, um, didn't 
destroy when they when they took over creation or took over the universe and but prometheus at one point decided to defy zeus he defied the gods and he did so by providing fire he provided fire to hum humanity and in doing that what he did was he gave them back control of their own future without fire they could not cook they could not without the help of the gods they could not stay warm without the help of the gods they could not function in many many ways without the help of the gods they had a dependence on the gods without fire but once they had that that changed the entire nature of their relationship it decreased their dependence on zeus and on the other gods this idea of action without response of simply doing things doing enough good things gives us the illusion deceives us into thinking that we somehow control how God sees us. We can somehow say if we've checked enough boxes or done enough things that God will see us as we want him to see us rather than how we actually are. He will not see our reflection that we see as we stare in the mirror, but he'll see what we want him to see or what who we think we are once we walk away from that mirror. Let me show you how that plays out in, in living out of our faith and applying our faith Let's take a look at Mark chapter 12, what we call the greatest command. It's going to be verses 29 through 31, the greatest command. And, and it says this, Jesus is speaking in response to um, some religious leaders in the, in the Hebrew church, the Jewish church at the time, asking, hey, what are the greatest commands? Or what is the greatest command amongst all of God's commandments? And Jesus says this, he says, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So let's let's apply what we've talked about here as we're, we're trying to determine how we're going to apply the truths of God. The first is this, we had this internal response or the, the truth the response to the truth of the text that we've observed, the true meaning of the text. And in this case, that response is our call, the greatest commandment that God has upon each of those who follow him is to love the Lord our God with all of who we are, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be totally dedicated to the Lord. And that is, that is something that is inherently very, very difficult for us to do because we're all kind of independent creatures, right? And that goes back to this idea of this Promethean missionality, the idea that if we just do enough good things, we're in control, right? We can still be independent of God's influence or, or in some ways, salvation itself in Jesus Christ. We minimize the value of that sacrifice. And so, but that, that response, that internal response, we are convicted that we are to love the Lord with all of who we are. The external action the outcome of that is, is verse 31. It's the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. The expression, the application, the result of loving the Lord with all of who we are results in loving our neighbor as ourselves. So how does that show up as a this Promethean missionality, this idea of, of earning our faith or decreasing our dependence on the sacrifice of Christ to carry us through. It shows up like this in something called 
teles telescopic philanthropy. It's actually a, a word quoted by Dickens in his book, Bleak House. And it's the idea that loving our neighbor as ourselves doesn't literally mean our neighbor. Uh, what it means is just this generalized idea of caring for others, of loving others, of watching out for others. And, and yes, that is absolutely part of the application, but it's not the whole application. And actually not physically loving our neighbors, our actual neighbors, right? It relieves us from part of God's intended application, the intended meaning of the text from the very beginning. It relieves us of that responsibility because we can convince ourselves that if we, if we go on a mission trip once or twice a year um, and preach the gospel or do something good for those on another side of the state or the, the country or the world, uh, that we are somehow, we don't have to preach the gospel to those who are in our day-to-day -day lives, right? We kind of remove the idea of applying it locally and literally right here and right now because we're doing it in some way, shape, or form at a, very, at a given time or a given place across the world. And so now it's about checking all the boxes and not about following the Lordship of Jesus, not about that internal response, that conviction that he is our Lord, our God, and he determines our path. True application, though, requires both this response to Holy Spirit and actions that increasingly glorify God. So let's, let's put our interpretive process to the test. In, the, in our original text today, right, James 1, 19 and 27, let's talk about that. It says, let's talk in verse 19 about, verse 19 and 20 about some physical responses or internal responses and external actions. Let's, let's look at this. It says, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Okay? The response, the conviction here, the internal conviction of the Holy Spirit as we're reading this, should be to recognize that human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And that is a really, really, really hard thing for us to understand because I don't know about you, but when I'm mad, I feel like I have a right to be mad. <laughs> but God's pretty clear. It's okay to be mad about the things that God is mad about. It's not okay to be mad about the things that God isn't mad about. And believe it or not, there's a whole lot of things that we get mad about in our lives that God really isn't angry with, that are, are simply things to understand, things to relate to, um, things that, that affect our lives, but they are not things worth getting angry over. Um, I think one of the ones that is prevalent in our world today is politics, right? People will get so wound up and angry over the political system and who's voting for what and who's not and what they're doing or not doing. And, and you see the posts flying out all over the place on social media and you see the, the angry responses and the bumper stickers and all of those things. And, and a lot of these people are us. We're Christians. We, it's us who proclaim that we are following the Lord and yet we are actively angry and bitter about things that, you know, God says, look, trust the authorities. 
trust the authorities. Jesus himself says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's, right? It's highly possible that whether it's politics or the, the way you think somebody is treating you in your life or just a perspective that you disagree with, if that makes you angry, it may not be righteous anger. It may be human, which doesn't help us reflect God. And honestly, we should be convicted not to allow in our lives to put things in their proper perspective, in the box they need to be in. Because remember, this is about the greatest command is loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the action after this internal response, what's the external action? Well, this one's pretty easy, right? It's being quick to listen. Listen before you make a judgment call, right? Before, you, if you find yourself getting ang angry, stop and listen to what's really being said. What is the intent of the speaker or the person or what's, what's going to inform this situation, help you fully understand it before we get mad, right? Being slow to speak and thus slow to anger because we've been listening first before we speak. And when we speak, we measure our words carefully, make sure it, it isn't a spewing of, some superfluous fact or something that's going to try to express emotion rather than reality. And be, and thus that leads us to the place where we don't get angry about things that, you know, we really shouldn't because they are not righteous in God's sight. So then there's, let's go to verse 21. Let's look at, let's try it again. It says in verse 21, therefore ridding yourselves of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That, that response, we talked about it earlier a little bit, that response is humility in the face of God's counsel, right? Humility, and when God comes to you and convicts you and says, look, this isn't an action I want you to be taking. This isn't something I want you to be doing. It might happen late at night as Holy Spirit speaks to you if you're, I don't know, looking at porn or, or getting drunk or just thinking horrible things about others in your lives. Where God convicts you, you can see and hear, almost hear his voice saying, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. The conviction, the emotional response is humility in the face of that. Setting aside our pride and setting aside our own personal will and giving it over to the lordship of Jesus, right? Let's remember that their response is, is if Jesus is our Lord, then we must humbly accept his counsel. So what's the action? Well, the action is, again, pretty pretty obvious here because, again, James, James, James shoots it straight, right? He says, eliminating sins in our lives, getting rid of those things that are dragging us down, that are dragging us away, that are in conflict, with the will of God, with the Lordship of Jesus. That means not watching the internet if you don't, if you're only going to look at things that you really shouldn't be looking at. And believe me, there's a lot there that we shouldn't be looking at. And it's not just porn. It's violence. It's, oh, I'm going to hate, I hate, I'm going to say this, but I am. It's fake news because just about all the news these days, I wonder, right? It's tilted. It's slanted. It's biased. Finding true news, try, trying to fully understand the facts. That takes, that takes discernment, and that takes patience, and that takes a lot of listening, unfortunately, but it does. 
but it's also evaluating progress, right? It says, it says that the evil, it is so prevalent in our lives, right? Prevalence is, is for us to understand as we move forward, we all start at different places with God, different places in our journey, and we travel different paths. But the paths should all lead us towards Christ-likeness, moving towards what it means to fully understand and try to live as Christ desires us to live. You know, none of us are ever going to get there. It's a journey, right? It's not a destination. It's all about the journey and the process. And again, different people, different journeys, in some ways, different expectations. But the, the source, the conviction, the internal response is pursuit of Jesus Christ, right? Pursuing his will for our lives. But we should always be moving forward. That idea of prevalence, that, that those influences on our lives, that the, again, as the text says, the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, we would like that to, to decrease <laughs> over time. If we're moving toward the purity of the Lord, the righteousness of God, inherently, we're moving away from those things that are ungodly. And so that's the, that's the external action here, is eliminating sins from our lives, eliminating those things that are in conflict with God's will for us, and eliminating those things in such a way that their prevalence, their impact on us, decreases over time. So let's let's go some more. Let's look at verses verse 25. It says this, but the one who intently looks intently into the perfect law of freedom, this is in contrast to that mirror, right? Looks intently to the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. There, the, the internal response, uh, approaching God's word, the perfect law, right? The perfect freedom that comes from that, approaching God's counsel and God's word as essential to life. In contrast, right? In contrast to just our own perceptions, our own broken self-perceptions, but asking ourselves, is God really guiding who we are? Is it essential to our understanding of who he is? The perfect law is perfect. As we read it, we may not understand it all. We may not understand what God is desiring from us or, or not always why he is asking us to do something, but that's back to that humility piece, right? Understanding that if he's counseling us, it matters. It just flat matters. And he may or may not make the reasons known later it's really not our place to decide or to judge which ones of his commandments we're going to push toward and which ones we're going to sweep under the rug. So what are the what are the actions, the outcomes, right? First is this doing it, doing what what God guides us to do. Physically doing it, physically changing, but also persevering in our pursuit of God, right? It says you're not just looking intently, you're not just looking expectantly into doing, into God's word and saying, what is it going to teach me and, 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 and committing to do it, but you're also persevering in it. The, world, the world's gonna hit you upside the head and try to remind you that, that you are not worthy of God's love, that you are broken, that you can't possibly break out of whatever this is, whether it be a drug addiction or, or a horrible relationship or the way you treat each other, that you can't break out of that cycle. It's, it's a lie, it's not true. But it requires perseverance. It requires recognizing that God's in this for the long run. 
He's not in it for the moment. He's in it for your eternity. And there is a perseverance that's required. It's not going to be as simple as signing off and moving on to the next thing, checking the box. It's a journey. So let's get into verse 27. That's, this will be our last kind of putting this to the test today. It's, it says this, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Hard thing to do, right? Staying unstained from the things of this earth. We have to remember that, that in dying for us and in our acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Savior, he has washed us clean. We are unstained from the things of the world. We are a, a new creation. We are new upon in our thoughts. We are new in our actions. We are new in how we live and how we love. But so what's the emotional, the internal response here, the conviction? Uh, it's that God's call is exclusive. God, as the text says, God is a jealous God, right? You can't divide your loyalties. I can't divide my loyalties between God and even God and my wife. I can't divide my loyalties between God and my kids. I can't guide my loyalties between him and my job. I can't, I can't divide my loyalties between him and my safety or security. God's call is exclusive. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this, right? Pure and undefiled is exclusive. But what are the actions? He says, if you're purely undefiled, if you're following me, well, you're going to look after those in need. You're going to actively look after, or back to this Mark text, actively looking, looking after your neighbor, actively caring for them, actively speaking to them in love, actively watching out for their needs, going out of your way to help them, right? their grass is starting to grow, offer to mow their lawn for them just to help them out. If you know it's an, an elderly person who has difficulty getting out right now in, in Ohio, every day around here is running about 85 to 95 degrees. It's hot, it's humid, it's nasty. There are heat advisories everywhere. Is there something you can do for an older person? Are you just saying, wow, that, that house has no air conditioning. It must be hot in there. Or are we saying, how do we find this person air conditioning? How can we give them some rest? How can we help them now and in the long term? And again, not just across the state or across the country or across the world, but next door, literally helping those who are in need and in distress. And the last one, I, I want to challenge you as you're applying this, the idea of keeping oneself unstained. That is, as I said before, our journeys all start in the same place and, and are a different place and they, they may look different. And so what I want to leave you with today is this, is to, is to ask yourself, what is keeping you unstained from the world mean? What are those things that are staining your life? What are those things that are, are reaching into your world and conflicting with, with God's call on you? What are the, the living situations or the choices or the things that you are doing that are keeping you from coming to know God? And I would challenge you to write down those things and say to, say to yourself, how am I going to fix that? How am I going to fix that? And then as I said before, it's not just about being convicted to fix it. It's about actually doing it. Write some steps down. Do some research. Dig. Figure it out and put something 
into action, one step in front of the other. Because at, we're only going to move forward if we do that, one step at a time. We can't continue to, to just recognize that we are in a bad spot. We have to actually work toward improving it and work toward moving the Lord God, not because it earns our salvation, but because we're already saved and because he's calling on us exclusively to be the Lord of our lives. Many blessings to you, and I uh, hope to see you next week. Bye.